welcome to another Energy Crew podcast with me, your host, J.P. Warren. And uh, thank you all for tuning in uh, right now. And uh, uh, wherever you're listening, please uh, leave a review message. I feel like I put out about 30 of these so far, and yet it's uh, the I just kind of like hearing feedback. Every now and then I get good, good sprinkles of uh of messages and kindness and, and Hey, you're doing a good job and Hey, uh, keep it going, but, uh, leave a message. It might help other people uh, find the program and all that stuff. Uh, but we were recording this on game one of the world series, downtown Houston petroleum club and, uh, Sydney with today. So why don't you introduce yourself to everyone out there listening and we can kind of get into it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me, JP. It's a pleasure and an honor, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. My name is Corey Fair. I'm the president and CEO and founder of Integrity in Situ from Calgary, Alberta. So first off, that's a huge like, president, CEO, and founder. Yeah. So you're going with all that. I don't know which one to go with or without. You so know, that I is interesting. You know, all. that is interesting. I was talking to my wife after, uh, you know, starting a connection crew and some of those things like, well, what do I want to go by? And, uh, and she's like, oh, I want to be COO. I'm like, no, you're not going to be COO. <laughs> what? There's only two, there's only yeah, two of There's your wife. Us. She gets to be whatever she wants. Yeah. It's, 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 so we got to plan it. So I, I went from uh, principal to founder to principal. I think I'm back at founder right now, which, I, which I'm fine with. But you're, what you're doing right now is a, kind of uh, has more... Uh, there's there's more to it than what I'm doing. There's more there's more moving parts, if you will, which 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 I dig and all that stuff. So, you are you where do you live right now? You're in you're in from Calgary, right? Yeah, I live in a bedroom community called Chestermere, actually, just outside of Calgary by about five okay. minutes. Okay, yeah. okay. And so you you travel down to Houston uh, for this week. Uh, what would you come down to Houston for? See uh, some some colleagues, some industry colleagues and friends and. Clients, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, what, so what are your plans? Where you? So, you're in your town. Oh, Monday till Friday. Yep. World Series. Exciting time to be in Houston. Mm-hmm. Right? Are you a baseball fan? I enjoy all sports. I don't watch too many, but I do love hockey. And it's too bad that Houston hasn't got a team. But I'm kind of glad they don't because the rumor was that they were going to get Calgary. We and, used to have a team. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was called the Houston Comets or something like that. I feel like it's it's close to it. The Cos Houston Cosmos or something like that. And huh. I, I remember going to a game and it was. I don't know why. Like hockey. Like first off, I'm not a sports guy. You know what I mean? Like uh, mm-hmm. I, I like watching the games. It's the World Series, the playoffs, and stuff like that. But you know what? I'm not really like a sports guy. But I remember going to a uh, a hockey match. Is it a match? It's a game. It's a game, a hockey game and all that stuff. And it was one of the funnest times ever. Not only do you have the, the shit talking from the fans, which is hilarious, but it's just, it's just a great environment to be at. And I never expect that because you watch it on TV. It's like, ah, okay, uh, next. But if you're actually at the game in oh, yeah. the excitement, it's, it's, it's night and day. It's, 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 it's fun. Sure. So I, so I get why the, the, the hockey thing is, uh, is huge in your life and uh, other uh, – nor, I'm not going to say Canadians' life because I mean it's, it's throughout you know the U.S. as totally. well. Yeah, no, it's got a massive footprint all over the world now, and the the entire world's caught up to Canada in their hockey prowess. We were seen as the superpower of hockey for a long time, but Until? a lot of places have caught up. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. No, this especially in women's hockey as well. It's the U.S. and Canada, but uh, there's been some some great gains made there for the sport overall. Uh, but with men's hockey, it's it's a very international, uh, I guess, level of expertise. So when you so when you come down, so when you plan your business trips right now to, to Houston, obviously it's a, it's post COVID. I know that uh, traveling to and from Canada was extremely difficult. I guess during the heart of this, uh, actually, even extending past the heart of this and all stuff. So when you're coming to, when you're when you're coming back, you know, down to Texas and you know you're you're planning your weekend and all this stuff. Do you just, is it one of those things where you just actually just like book your trip and you actually, do you schedule your, your, your meetings and all this stuff before you come down? Or it's like, Hey, I'm going down and I'm going to squeeze in as much as I can when I get there. I'm going to fill it in. I mean, what, so how, how does that scheduling uh, work for you? Well, generally about a month in advance, I'll start scheduling meetings. I'll reach out to as many folks as I can through LinkedIn, through different contacts I have and whatnot. Each trip down here, I've usually got 20 plus meetings 20 plus meetings yeah. within five days yeah it's a very hectic compressed schedule not a lot of sleep because you're still taking care of a little bit of business for everything that's happening back in calgary and and this sort of thing but uh, this trip was not quite the same <clears throat> there was a, a, a I'm, not, I'm not sure what to attribute it to but there was definite uh i guess 
lull in the activity level with a lot of folks that would normally be dealing with down here. And so this week, I think I've got about 11 appointments in three and a half days, which is okay. But for me, I want to make sure that when I'm down here, I am working. Yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah. maximizing the time. You're, yeah. you're mean, you're, you're, your time's well spent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sun up to sundown, I want to be going. And I'm not sure if that's, if it's Q4 oil field, because around Q4, people mm -hmm. start kind of like, okay, well. That's right, yeah. They start sure. downshifting a little bit, taking things a little bit slower, not taking meetings, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it could be, it could be part of that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's not that I go back to the well with the same operators again and again, but there's probably, you know, a, a, a solid 20 folks that I do like to try to touch base with, yeah. uh, at least for a, a social visit while I'm down here. So I think people probably get a little sick of hearing from me sometimes, but that's okay. But this week it was a little different because I had a lot of other uh, duties that are part of my monthly and bi-weekly schedules back at the shop in Calgary that I had to be focused on anyway. So I, I had chunks of my calendar that I couldn't see people in during anyway. So not really allowing that flexibility probably hurt me, but that's okay. So let's kind of get into the, I guess, the professional side of you first. And let's talk about the personal side uh, when, when we can. So, so you've been, so give me a little background. I mean, you told me your story about kind of uh, what you're bringing to the market, what you're doing and what, what, what the, the, I guess the, the technology you're bringing to the market, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a technology. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's a tool, right? Yep. Downhole tool. It's yeah, a downhole right. tool that, that, so why, why don't you kind of give me the brief elevator spiel on that? Let's kind of get into that kind of how you started that, the inspiration behind that, mm -hmm. uh, what you see, uh, I guess the, from, you know, bringing a, first off from creating an idea to designing it, to, to getting the funding, to, to, to the, the entire process, the cradle to kind of bring it to market. I mean, it's, so give, give us the background behind that if you don't sure. mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I've been in the patch for 23 years and in the very beginning I started at the, in the proverbial basement, as low as you can go. Where, was, where was that at? That was at Core Labs and I was literally folding cardboard boxes. Oh, Okay. I would take core boxes that were simply flat slabs of cardboard and I would fold them up and then put core in them that had been slabs. Is that, so did you get this job because you wanted to start in the oil field or you just kind of, this was an opening job, you just kind of, oh, yep. I need a job. Yeah, some guys that I, I don't know if we played street hockey together or how I knew them initially actually, but anyway, some guys I knew were there and so it was just a job. Okay. But uh, I was interested in technology and, and things along you know, not necessarily related to the patch, but things that were interesting and important, whatever. So it was pretty general for me at the beginning. And what year was this? About? Oh, that was 95. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was at Core Labs uh, folding boxes. So if people worry about where they're starting compared to where they want to be, don't. Because it doesn't matter where you start. You can get where you want to be. And that's a that testament to that fact. So I was folding these boxes and then I got to slab the samples that went in those boxes. And then I got to test the samples that had been slabbed that went in those boxes. And then I got to run the lab that did the testing of the slab samples in those core boxes. So are you enjoying this whole pro? I'm, I'm assuming this has taken a couple uh, years or something like that, or whatever the process is. Are you enjoying, the, I guess, the... Uh, the slow introduction to the to the oil field. I mean, what was it like for you? I was cheap oh, labor. that's what it was, cheap yeah. labor to fill cheap, it? Cheap labor. Okay. So the fellow who ran that lab is a great guy named Dave Brooks. And he and a fellow named Murray Warner. Murray was the brains behind the operation in a lot of ways. And uh, they just gave us all kinds of responsibility and trained us up on all sorts of cool processes and tests. And, you know, we didn't really understand what was behind it or what the outcomes were, but okay. we did the tests. and. And eventually we got to to do more than what we bargained for, I guess. But I, I was just given an opportunity and I, I guess I did a well enough, good enough job at it to, to stick around for quite a while. But then what after you, that, I went to uh, IT. I went to computer school for a while and I went, I was a computer programmer for a couple of years. And then I went back to the patch after that. So what led you from, I guess, going from the patch, uh, folding up boxes, running the labs and all that stuff to... I guess going to the, the computer side and then coming back. That's a good question. And I think at the time it was just rolling with the punches, you know. Um, the patch has been cyclical since Christ was a babe. And oh that God. was the same back in the late 90s. And I was part of a, a downturn layoff round, I guess. Okay. And when IT became what it started to become in the late 90s, 
it looked like interesting opportunities. So that was more, again, another curiosity, not really a, a passion at the, at the time, but it led to getting back into the patch because of my computer skills, working on spreadsheets and formulas and data analysis and whatnot with a CBM outfit. And that led to additional opportunities with operators that led to going from coal bed methane where I had been for six or so years, six plus years into the oil sands. And over all of this, I'd gone back to technical school a couple of times for uh, reservoir engineering as well as geology, which I found absolutely incredible. I love, really? yeah, I love engineering and I don't have the math skills at all to do it. Thankfully, I'm able to hire guys that are absolutely you, sur brilliant. you surround yourself with the people that know they're. The oh, totally. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No man is an island and, and you can't ever think yourself like that. So I, I've hired a lot of brilliant folks to carry that part of what we do. But uh, getting in more involved in the geology and engineering side of, of the patch, I really fell in love with it. And what, what about it? Well, the, the history, I guess, the, the timelines are just mind-blowing. And what goes into this mineral versus that and uh, the applications that are used in every single aspect of our day-to-day. -day. Okay. It's, it's absolutely un unbelievable. It's a, it's a building block of our society. It truly is. So through learning about it, you just kind of, you started realizing it's, a, it's an everyday aspect of our life. And then you start learning kind of the history about like this period in time made this composites or whatever, mm -hmm. formations, whatever that looks like. And that's, that's kind of what brought, I guess, propelled you with, with this passion also for, for, for the industry. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I had some wonderful colleagues that were very open with their knowledge levels. I had a, a great instructor, a geology instructor at SAIT named Kathy Hawks, I believe her name was. And, uh, you know, we did everything by hand and we had to color everything with pencil crayons and you're building these fence diagrams from scratch and you, you all learned this, it. All this shit you can do on the computer now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we, you learned it well and you gained an appreciation for it because you, I guess you learned how to do it the old-fashioned way, and, and you really gained an appreci appreciation for it that way. Okay. And as time progressed, uh, I just became more and more involved in the operational side of, of the oil sands company I was at after all that, and went back to school again for project management, and I was the operations coordinator at our last uh, outfit there, my last day job in downtown Calgary. I was the operations coordinator and sat on rigs during field programs and oversaw this, that, and the other thing and helped make decisions and made sure the G&G &G team was happy and informed of the situation and stuff like that. And through that process, working in the oil sands, uh, initially targeting uh, oil sands mining properties, but then moving over towards in situ SAG-D uh, production schemes, we needed to focus more on the geomechanical problems of having whether or not we had a cap rock over a specific area and whether or not we could produce at an economic level of, okay. of pressure, steam pressure in this steam chamber to make the project viable or not. And that's how I started to learn a bit more, more about geomechanics and the issues that come of trying to capture core, send it to the lab for that specific purpose. Core has got a lot of purposes, but one of them is for uh, geomechanical testing, physical processes in a lab. And there was a lot, of, a lot of hair on all that that really frustrated me as a client. So I, I knew of some existing technologies that could provide parts of those data sets. So I thought, well, if this tool can do that and that tool can do this, why don't we put it with this tool and make a downhole Swiss Army knife and and start running that. So that's that's the beginning of integrity in situ. So my question is this. I mean, you, you, you're you going to school, it sounds like multiple times, right? You four times, yeah. Four, <laughs> you, you're going to school four times, I guess, in this in this time frame. But yet, you finally go again, and then something sticks. Something sticks out. You identify this issue right now with, with coring. And I guess the not only the importance, but also, I guess, kind of how it's managed, right? Or, or I guess the... the well, what is driving you, I guess, towards starting this 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 venture that that you're currently on this path you're on this 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 product you're on? What 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 is starting this? It was basically the risk around the data quality and the inability to ensure that you actually were going to get the core that you wanted. Plus, the costs were really high. The timelines were excruciatingly long. So there were quite a few problems that I just didn't want to accept. So how, so. Uh, how do you look at a problem like that? That's kind of been in our industry for generations, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. 
how do you look at a problem like that that's been in our industry for generations and say, okay, I want to do something about this. I, I have an idea. Mm -hmm. Well, I was fortunate to, to grow up in a home of entrepreneurs. My parents had businesses uh, as I was growing up. Okay. So I was always around the risk taking better get off your ass and do it yourself if you want this to happen type of approach. Okay. And became comfortable with those types of propositions. Whereas it's difficult to take certain risks at times. And a lot of folks have tried different businesses and whatnot. And for some reason or another, they, they may not succeed, but a lot of times folks don't even take the chance. So that was, I guess the, the start of it being around that risk taker mentality. Um, and you know, one of the parent, one of the businesses my folks had when I was a kid was, uh, an Amway distributorship or whatever you'd call that. They were salesmen for Amway. And at the age of 15, because I saw my parents doing all the time and I bought into building dreams and setting goals, uh, I was drawing circles, trying to sell my friend's parents Amway soap in their living rooms. I was drawing circles on whiteboards at the age of 15 as part of how that business goes. So I got over a lot of fears around having conversations that you're very uncomfortable having. And a lot of what has driven me to what I've done in the past eight years here is basically being able to face fears and, and dive in regardless of what monster might be laying in the deep end of the pool. So what kind of, what kind of, what kind of fears do you feel like, uh, that, 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 that you're facing that other people that have ideas that, that see a problem and want to fix it, or other people that are like, man, I kind of don't like the path I'm on. I kind of want to jump into something new. What, what fears are, are you seeing that, 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 that you deal with? Yeah. It's usually if it, it, in the beginning, part of it was a fear of rejection and getting laughed at by folks perhaps that are way smarter than you and they know 10 times more about the subject right. than you'll ever know. The other part of it is the, uh, the security of wanting a steady paycheck. Money is a powerful driver That's for a something. lot of folks. I'm in, the, I'm in that zone right now. It's, it's a weird feeling right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm there all the time. And oh, great. <laughs> that's great to hear. Yeah, no, it's totally normal. <laughs> that's good. That's, well, that's good reassurance. Well, this is interesting to hear you say that because a lot of folks that are doing something now or thinking about doing something tomorrow, whatever the case is, they don't realize that everybody has the same fears. And if someone doesn't have a money issue, they have all the other issues that come with life, whether it's health, whether it's relationships, happiness, spirituality, whatever, yeah. you know, everybody's you know, you know, got I, the I, same I, problems. I love how you're bringing that up right now, Corey, because I think, I think that's such an important thing to talk about. It's like, you know, like, you know, we live in such a, 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 a not, I'm not saying a surface world, but a very comparison world. It's like, oh my God, Corey's doing so well. He's, he's happy. He's crushing it all. He's so he's happy. Oh my gosh. Look at, you know, Deborah and mm -hmm. Don, they're doing great. Look at these people. They're doing great. But you're right. At the end of the day, I mean, everyone has fears. Everyone has self-doubt. Everyone oh, yeah. has that, that little, uh, what is that cricket in Pinocchio talking to you? Yeah. Jiminy cricket. Jiminy cricket. Everyone's got the Jiminy cricket <laughs> talking down to you. And it's just like, you're right though. That's, that's one of those things that like, I love how you're bringing it to the surface. Those like, everybody has those fears. So sure. you deal with it, you, yeah. know, you, you face it and deal with it. 100%. There's no option because yeah. if you don't, it'll deal with you. And something that I tell my guys at the shop all the time is it's okay to make a mistake because you're going to learn from it. And if you're not trying some, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. Yeah. And if you're not trying, you're never going to get anywhere. You're not going to learn. You're, gonna, you're not going to fail forward. And in the R&D world that we've been working in the past several years, there's a lot of failures. So you've been in the R&D world quite some time now. It's been eight years. Eight yeah. years, and yeah. then uh, so is, is so ten, so. Let's 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 get into that real quick. So, tell me about this 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 issue that you saw mm -hmm. and kind of the steps on kind of how you started trying to uh, I guess tackle that by starting your own company and building a team and and and, and doing the R and D, doing the research, doing this, doing that, communicating it to the to the uh, end user mm -hmm. and to the market. So, walk me through that. Okay, so. The first thing, obviously, is to identify the problem. And as an end user of a process, I definitely identified the problem and I was experiencing that problem. And a big part of business for anybody is to make sure that you actually have a market for your solution. Okay. And 
I knew that I did because I was that market at that time. And if, if the insight tool existed at that time, I would have been running it. So what was the problem? Basically taking geomechanical samples out of the ground and, and sending them to a lab. Okay. Yeah. And the issues around whether or not you can actually capture core or whether or not the recovery is sufficient for the lab processes, the costs involved, the time involved. Okay. And then relying on these disturbed core samples for these very important decisions related to, you know, the engineering of a, of a steam chamber, for instance. Okay. But it applies to wellbore stability. It applies to geotechnical services all over the world, whether it's a mine, uh, a tunnel, a hydroelectric dam design, whatever the case, if you're dependent on the strength of the ground or a layer of rock, 30, you need a quality away, sample. Yeah. Well, you need quality answers. And so th that was the problem. Getting the quality answers was a okay. tough proposition. And there's a lot of uh, incredible technology that exists that can add boundaries, tighten in the, the reins on that overall problem, whether it's core or whether it's a logging tool or whether it's, you know, a lot of brilliant companies that have come out of the woodwork in the past 10 years to address these sorts of issues. But at the end of the day, you still need a measurement of that rock. So what better way to do it than to do it in situ with a physical measurement? Um, in situ? Yep, in place. Yeah, so instead of That's taking... That's a Latin word. I'm just throwing that out there. Is it a Latin word? Probably, yeah. There you go. <laughs> hey, you learned something here on Energy Cruise. So in situ means what? In place. So, I yeah. mean, I, I think... You, you use that so much in, in your term just because, you know, you use it probably every day. It's, it's, it's a part of your company and all that stuff. Maybe I'm the idiot. Maybe I, maybe I don't use that word that much. But in situ, me, pretty much means at that location, yep. at that point. Yep, in place. In yep. place. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's what in situ is. Uh, so once I identified that problem, I, I then went to people that know more about it than I do. Because like I said, I, I'm... I'm not a professional engineer. I'm not a professional geologist. I'm not a geomechanic specialist. Um, I know enough to make me dangerous to myself, <laughs> but I went to people that know geomechanics and I said, Hey, this is an idea. This is what I'm struggling with. Does this make sense? And they all said, yep, it does. And I'm talking about PhDs from around the world. And so I, I located the inventor of the modern day electronic pressure meter, which is an old civil engineering tool that's used to measure rock strength and stress conditions. Okay. And uh, talked to him about how I could adapt his version of his instrument, uh, the pressure meter, to a downhole tool. And we, I, I drove out to his place in BC and spent three, four days with him, whatever it was, and just got to know him, talked business, went through drawings. I love that. And it was, it was amazing. It was, it was a really foundational aspect of where we came from. And uh, he was my chief technical officer for the first couple of years of the business. And he got his PhD at Cambridge University. I mean, there's a couple of smart cookies over there. A few, not many, yeah, but yeah. A couple. He, he might be one of them. You could find one here. I might have heard of that school yeah. before. Usually in a pub. There's a couple pubs in the UK for some reason. Of course. And uh, this guy's name was Dr. John Hughes. Super nice guy. We worked very well together for a long time. And through the University of Cambridge and John's old colleagues who were working with pressure meters for the next 30 years after they graduated, uh, we decided that that's where we'll build this tool and everything. So there's, okay. there was an interesting kind of uh, synergy that just came about as to why the tool would get built there. So we started working together with these folks in the UK, built this prototype tool. Parts of it were going as planned, parts of it weren't. End of the day, I brought all the development back to Calgary. We finished it off in Calgary and started going to the field. We had a tremendous response in the industry. We ran this prototype a bunch of times. Uh, three of our own test so wells. What, what year frame, what time frame was this? This is uh, 2013 to 2016. Okay. So it was really the beginning of 2014. Okay. Yeah, okay. 2013, and I think it was July 2013 is when I resigned from my day job, put together my business plan. And this is when you, went, this is when you jumped in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I dig I, that. Yeah, thank you. I, I raised money in about three meetings in Calgary. A couple were at a bar. The really? last one, yeah, last one was at a boardroom uh, with, with these fellows. And that was my first group of angel investors that backed us back in 2013. So so you quit your day job. You got this idea. You're talking to people. You're, you're, you're actually making moves here, right? Suddenly, 
you got the backing, you got the angel investor, it, it, it's ready to go. So what is going on in your mind now? Like, it's like, I just quit. Uh, you're married at the time, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah I was Children at the time? Yeah, I had uh, two at the time. And so that's a that's a tough decision right there. I mean, you got your family, you got this, you got, you got a steady paycheck, which is good, but also it's kind of competing with your old, your upbringing, the entrepreneurial upbringing. So what's going on in your mindset right now? With, with Once you get this, once you get funded, once you get this in 20, what, what year was this? 2013. 2013. Let's go. It's go time. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, if you don't have a partner at home, if you're single, then hey, yeah. Go nuts. Yeah. But if you don't have the right partner at home, fill your boots, you're never going to get anywhere. I completely anywhere. agree with that. And my wife is an incredible supporter uh, for a lot of reasons and has demonstrated her, her medal millions of times to me. Um, but she grew up in an entrepreneurial family as well. And she is also an entrepreneur. She owns her own business and has for about a dozen years. Okay. So she gets it. And so when you come home, you're like, hey, babe, just quit my job. She's like, yes, you finally did it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't maybe that exact reaction, but she was. But something, uh, yeah, something a little similar. Yeah, though. she was supportive. I mean, yeah, she was supportive. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so we, we've made a lot of sacrifices, brother. I'm telling you, it's been tough. We bootstrapped this since day one. And uh, even when I was traveling to the UK, you know, you've, I'd be staying at a bed and breakfast and driving the cheapest car I could find. Yeah. And to this day, I, I don't stay in nice hotels. I don't rent Corvettes. Um, it's, it's, it's not real glamorous. Yeah, because I mean, the last time you were here, that the first time I met you were staying at a friend's house. And I think right now you're staying at Airbnb. So, yep. I mean, I dig that though. I mean, you're spending it like it's your own, which a lot of people don't get. Well, it's, you have to do it like that. You have to. Right. And it's, it's it's only fair to the people that are trusting you with their hard in cash. It's it's the only thing you can do, in All my right. opinion. So you're in a situation in 2013, you quit your job, you go home, you tell your entrepreneur wife, she's cheering for you, she's happy for you. You got investors now, you got all this stuff. So now now what do you do? Yeah, so then the well, I wouldn't say the real work begins because it's all real work. It's just different aspect of real work and people have their own skill sets that Sometimes make it look easy and yeah. sometimes it doesn't. But so then we, yeah, we, we spend the next close to two years developing this prototype and, uh, you know, couch surfing from one buddy's office to the next, trying to find a spot to work out of. So what does that look, sorry to interrupt, what does that look like though when you're, when you're actually like in the developing stage? Because to me, I could be sitting around with you, for example, and we're trying to develop something and mm -hmm. oh, it'll take two months to do. But next thing you know, it takes two years to do. You know, mm -hmm. so how do you actually like when you're doing this on your own? When you're going out there on your own, new company, your first company, I'm assuming, right? Uh, fourth, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Then. But first full time. Full, this is first what I do. Full, full time downhole mm -hmm. in situ. Yeah, you're getting there. It's in situ. Well, in in Houston is in C2. So okay, okay. Just, that, that's a culture difference right there. You got to bear with yep, me a little bit. There you go. So you're dealing with this. So this whole research development process and all that stuff, what, how long do you think it would take versus how long did actually life go until it happened? So that's another interesting question that I'm glad you bring up <clears throat> because when I first started building our prototype, I had zero clue what was involved. I've never, never been involved in this. Designing a yeah, downhole tool whatsoever. Yeah. I simply threw stuff at the wall and the fellows that knew the technology and how these things are fabricated would say, yeah, we can do that or no, that's not possible or whatever. And, you know, I'd say, well, figure it out. Everything's possible. You just don't know how to do it yourself. I like that. Yeah. And uh, so you, at that time, everything was farmed out and that's not how I do it now. Now we have our own internal expertise with 300 years of R&D experience okay. um, in various aspects of engineering, whether it's firmware engineering or, or electrical engineering or mechanical engineering. And I brought somebody in that would guide our internal efforts down that road. And as somebody who has been doing this for 30 plus years, he, his name is Wes Neal, and he's, he's been one of my pillars for the past few years with integrity in situ he spent 35 years with weatherford as an r d engineer 
So you need people like that on your team. Okay. If you don't know how to do it yourself, and I, like I said, I'm not a mechanical engineer. I can conceptualize things till the cows come home and throw all kinds of crazy ideas at the wall. But then you need people that are actually in tune with how CNC machines work and what material strengths will allow and what temperature capacities on boards are going to do for how long. You need people that understand that world to, to be that actual brain. I guess, I don't even know how to say this, but uh, you're coming up with this new product, this new concept and all this stuff, but yet you're getting people that have been in oil field for, or wherever they're at, these bigger, larger companies for what, 33 years plus, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was that, uh, does that go against kind of the new startup, new technology, new concept idea, or is it just kind of like, no, this is the perfect person for this role because they understand these these tools and all that stuff or the, 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 the formations more than, than most people. Does that make sense? Kind of, sort of, and I, I can't really answer that very well, JP, because I, I don't know how other companies really do it. I know that if you're doing something along the lines of a physical mechanical device that's got massive amounts of power going through yeah. it and data at the wazoo in a hostile environment that involves high pressures and high temperatures. Um, in my mind, you want to bring as many experts in those specific fields to the table as possible. Okay. Um, I've been very fortunate to have great relationships with people throughout my life and throughout my career in the patch. And so I've had people recommend it to me. I've had people cold call me to get involved in the team. And I've cold called tons of people to say, hey man, I think that you'd be a great fit. And I've had people tell me to pound sand. And I've had people say, you know what, this is legit and I want in. So okay. we, we managed to build a pretty pretty great team that way. Okay. Yeah. So now what? So you got the team together. You're 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 throwing stuff against the wall. It's sticking, some stuff's not sticking. You got these people coming in, the these these industry experts, if you will, these mm -hmm. industry sommeliers, if you will, that know their stuff, they know their rock. Yep. Now what? So now it's time to execute. And okay. when we built this prototype, everything was fine in the shop. Everything was fine on the bench. Okay. But things are very different in the real world when you put something below the surface of the earth, when you can't help it. You okay. send your baby out to the wolves and this, this, uh, this prototype uh, did a couple things well in the field, but there's a lot of intricacies involved with connecting to a rig with power and with water and with drill pipe and running it into a mud-filled borehole thousands of meters away, whatever the case is. And I simply don't have enough expertise in that world to make sure that all my bases were covered. So we had some failures, we had some successes, but we learned every time and we improved the tool with every test. So these failures after years and years and years of developing all this stuff, after the failures occurred, that you weren't like, oh shit, this is just too much. I'm gonna walk away. This, you just, you're like, nope, I'm gonna learn from this. We're gonna learn from this. So you, it was one of those things like, you decided to look at this that I'm gonna learn from these failures or uh, I'm gonna keep on going because I have to. Uh, uh. Yeah, it's a very conscious struggle to force yourself to keep moving forward because there's definitely failures that <clears throat> kick your heart in spots that are a little more tender than others. And yeah. you, you don't want to <laughs> go true. back to that table and you don't want to have the conversation with your investors or your board or the staff um, or your clients. And that's, that's life. Not all of them go well. Not all of those conversations go well. Uh, well but, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, I play hockey a couple of times a week. That helps me relieve a lot of stress. I bitch and moan to my wife more than I should. And I, I lean on people that I can for advice and support. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of it, like I said, is just facing your fears and uh, accepting it and recognizing and knowing that not every day is going to be a good one. Okay. And that there, there are going to be a lot of great days and there have been a ton of awesome days. Um, so that's not every day. No, it's not every day. And if you can accept that that is, it's, it's normal. You know, you, you should never expect perfection of yourself or anybody else or any downhole tool or your car or your phone or your kids. And through learning what can go right and what can go wrong, you really gain a lot of perspective as to how things can be sometimes. And uh, you really learn to stay level when you're, up high on that roller coaster and things are just top of the world. And when you're, going, in the, things are going great. Yeah, you're yeah. in the bottom of the ditch and 
cars are driving by, splashing mud on you. Hey, you, you can never get too, too high and you can never get too, too low. I always use this phrase that, uh, this too shall pass. Yeah. I don't give a shit. It's the best day of your life. Enjoy it. Uh, appreciate it because that's going to pass. Right. Your worst day, uh, your girlfriend breaks up with your, you know, your wife leaves you, your kids hate you. Uh, you, you don't get that deal and all stuff. That's going to pass. Mm-hmm. You know, like this too shall pass, whether it's good or bad or, or in the middle. You yeah. know what I mean? There's always a different time ahead. Definitely. Yeah. And recognizing what you have the power to change and what you don't have the power to change allows you to focus your energy where it's going to have a, make a difference. Because there's, there's things that have nothing to do with you that affect you that greatly. That you're so worked up about. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got nothing to do with you. And if you fight that, then it, it's an ongoing thing. But yeah. if you put your energy where you can actually improve your, your lot and the situation, then, then you make some, some headway there. Um, Back to the prototype. Yeah. After that prototype had some successes and failures, we were totally broke and had bills to pay, waiting on, you know, uh, scientific research rebates from the government, basically from the money we'd spent to to pay bills. It was very difficult. But the reason we survived that is because I called our vendors and was honest and said, look, I blew it. I'm sorry. This thing didn't work. I made no money. I will get you your money, but it's going to take some time. And they accepted that and they gave me that time. And it, it went successfully so through communication through being transparent and kind of being vulnerable Mm -hmm. again i me personally i'm all about relationships you know what i mean i'm all about connections and and, and genuine connections but so the fact that you're able to contact your vendors and have this genuine conversation with them that hey look didn't go as planned sorry xyz but i'll tell you what i'm gonna keep my word you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like that allowed you to kind of continue through right and them seeing that I wasn't collecting paychecks. Yeah. I collected three paychecks in two years to make sure that every cent went towards making sure that we stayed alive and kept our vendors satisfied and and did what was right. Then, then that went a long way as well. Uh, but it was very, very difficult. But towards the end of that period, we got a tap on the shoulder from Saudi Aramco who just happens to be the biggest oil and gas operator on the planet. Oh yeah. There was an article today about that. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. So these, uh, these particular fellows said, we want your tool. I said, no, actually you don't. That thing's a piece of crap and it's not going to do what you want it to do. But I understand what you mean. You want a version of that tool. You want the idea of this tool. Yeah, yeah. you want that concept to work. So I said, yeah, well, that's what I want too. And I'd known all along that there were a lot of applications for this information and different versions of the tool would have to be built. Uh, something that you learn through these failures as well. Part of that perspective is that um, the first one won't be right. It might be decent, might be okay in most aspects, but you're going to need to make a lot of changes and it's going to take time and it's going right. to take a lot of money. So uh, recognizing that through going through it is is part of what happened with me. But uh, having Aramco come to us brought us a lot of credibility. And, you know, the industry support we'd had spoke for itself. Every operator I spoke to in, in Calgary was 100% supportive and clearly recognized the value of what we were doing. So regardless if the, if the, if the prototype was successful at all, they, they say, Hey, look, Corey, I'm seeing what you're doing. I understand that our industry kind of needs this, right? You know, like <clears throat> you identify, you identify the need and they're saying, Hey, they're, they're, so they're pretty much echoing that need. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the support you're getting. So to me that that would assume like okay well i am on something here it's just uh i'm i'm not there yet i'm not at the finish line yet yeah i'm i'm still in that process man. yeah okay it's enough to keep the wind in your sails yeah um, and then real quick encouraging words everyone out there means a lot you know what i mean so whether you're feeling it or whether whether if you start praising people and that deserve it or if you start even after failure and all that stuff that means so much more to people out there. I, I definitely personally think that we have to talk about this more and praise more and compliment more mm-hmm. and, and, and motivate more because it's, it's a tough world out there. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that helps push people through and continuing to, to pursue what they want. Definitely. Yeah. And it feels good to help others. At the end of the day, you're dealing with human beings that have egos and ego isn't necessarily a, 
I don't mean it in a negative connotation, but it can egos be. can be very negative, and by and large they are. And people call them haters. Haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. And that's the way it is. That's, that's just the way it is. Those, that's people. And so it's tough to find support sometimes, even within the circles you would 100% expect it and, and hope for it from. Uh, you don't always find it there. Yeah. And I think we've all experienced that with any aspect of our lives, whether it's uh, a, a team or work or friends or whatever. Social, social yeah. circles. Yep. Yeah. It's sometimes you're going, well, this person should be pumping my tires, but yeah. instead they're not they're, saying anything. They're being distant or they're, they're, they're not, they're not even giving any feedback about my performance. Yeah. I right. get that. Yeah. That's true. And so people are, People are kind of wacky in that sense, but you know, whatever, nobody's perfect. And I'm sure that when you succeed, they'll be there. Oh man. And when you, you don't do it the whole way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, my wife's been, been amazing in, in my rock the entire time. And that's awesome. You know, my, I've got a bunch of great supporters that have had my back that have really made sure I didn't give up and fall by the wayside. So, so what happened with little Saudi Ramco? Yeah, so we put together this this R and D agreement where they help fund part of our development and uh, provide us with test wells. Okay. So when that happened, I started to build our team, knowing from the first go round, I'm never going to do that again as far as farming out this very important job. So there's um, a core piece of that of that job that you farmed out. Just because you didn't... No, in the beginning, it was all farmed out. Okay. I, I gave these engineering firms the concept. And the they, trust. And they ran with it and, and developed it. But it, it just wasn't what it should have been. Gotcha. And, and call it budget constraints, call it uh, lack of skill, whatever the case was. Whatever it, the case was. It is what it was. It is what it was. And now it's very different. And we have this internal team. And, and I started building that team when I got the, the sign-off from Aramco. And we also got uh, some some major support from Alberta Innovates, which is a, a large organization within the province that will sponsor various technology uh, developments for aspects of all kinds of things within within Canada. So they gave us a big grant to help us pay for it as well. So is that night and day difference, I guess, farming out the first I feel like it's a couple stages, your, your, your company, right? Like the, the, the first stage is kind of farming everything out, right? And the second stage is now you got this, you know, you get this funding from Ramco, you get these grants and all this stuff, and now you're bringing your own teams. I kind of feel that's like a, that's a kind of a night and day different feeling or energy mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it because, one, you're not in control. You're just hoping, you know, a paycheck takes care of it or, or a check takes care of what you want, and the other one, no, it's your team. It, right. It's it's your little group right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, they are two very different approaches. And obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. and going back, I would never have done it the way I did it the first time. The second time has been incredibly productive. What this team in Calgary has designed is mind-blowing to me. I have unbelievable love and respect for all these folks that have put together what we've got because it's incredible to me. Um, I'm obviously very involved in a lot of the work these guys do. Um, and some of the stuff that our guys have come up with, it's just incredible that I, I, I don't know how they do it or where it comes from because it's just, it's mad science to me. Wired that way. Um, and, and they're pulling it off and we're, you know, for instance, there's a bunch of functionalities on the insight tool for this geomechanical testing. And one of them is called the shear head. So as we got a bunch of pieces built and assembled in the shop and, and uh, you know, wired for sound, so to speak, the first time we tested things at 20,000 PSI, they worked out of the box. Well, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. That's pretty great. And that's happened a ton of times. So on one hand, I, I kind of worry about that because you, you kind of want it to fail so that you see what you need to improve yeah, on and yeah. you can tweak it and know that it won't fail in the field. But when it doesn't fail at all, are you just not pushing it hard enough? But when you're testing things at 20,000 PSI, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, you're pushing it. Yeah. And uh, so we've had a lot of really fantastic success on the bench. And, you know, it, it's all coming out of the imagination of these engineers up north here. So where are y'all at right now? First off, real quick, 
give me a rundown on on actually what it does. What, sure. What 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 this uh, what this product, this equipment, this piece of uh, this tool does. Yeah. So you can run it on wireline or on pipe. And if you're running it on pipe, the only reason, well, there'd be a couple of reasons to do so. I guess one would be to push it all the way to the toe of a lateral. Okay. And if you're running a wireline, you're not going to do that. And if you're going to include the mini frac functionality on the tool, you'll need a sealed conduit for water flow to get to the tool. So you'd want the pipe to be your sealed conduit. But uh, to get back to the overall question there, the tool's got four functionalities on it. One's pretty basic, and that's a gamma sonde, just a straight up gamma locating log. Okay. So you see the gamma response of the formation as you run in through the open hole. And that's another important aspect to what we do is that it's open hole, not cased hole, which introduces some challenges, but uh, you got to be open hole if you're going to talk to the rock, in my opinion. So, that's right. Hey, that's right. You heard it here. <laughs> there you, you go. Be open hole if you're going to talk to that rock. Yeah, All right. You can talk to the rock. Direct line. I like that. So the, uh, the gamma <laughs> is there to help us locate the tool and see a couple of basic uh, features. And then the... The shear head is used to apply normal force to the wellbore wall as well as shear force. And what it is, it's a downhole version of a shear box test as well as a scratch test. Because what we're doing in effect is scratching the wellbore wall. Okay. At six points of contact, helically oriented around the body of the tool. So you can also see different orientations okay. of those rock properties. And that provides a big chunk of the geomechanical data set that goes into all the earth models that folks are are relying on so heavily today and have been for decades. The other uh, key functionality would be the intelligent packer and it's basically an instrumented packer. So imagine inflating a packer against the open hole wellbore wall and actually observing the displacement of the wellbore wall because of the force you're applying. So you're going to load the wellbore wall with force and then you're going to unload it and you're going to watch how the the rock responds. So Inflate a balloon and then deflate it. Inflate it at a higher pressure and deflate it. And run that cycle four or five times. And you can fail the rock if you inflate it too much. Depends on the test design. Um, But by observing that loading and displacement cycle, force and displacement translates to stress and strain in the rock. Okay. And so by observing the stress-strain response of the rock, you observe dozens of parameters. With each test, that tool is pulling about seven or so parameters physically itself, but then you can also run it through all kinds of models and math to pull out another dozen or 15 parameters to come up with a massive data set on those stress-strain properties. So it's very powerful. Okay. Um, and that tool has been around for 70 years under the flag of a pressure meter in the civil engineering world used on superstructures around the planet. But we've obviously made it a very different instrument with the pressures and temperatures that we're equipped to run at. But it's the exact same principle. Load the wellbore wall and observe the response from the rock. So that's the, that's the intelligent packer. And we used to call it a pressure meter, but people would think, oh, it's a pressure You're gauge. You're thinking it's yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's a bit of a colloquialism that we did away with by calling it Intelligent Packer. Uh, and then the other functionality is a mini frac, which is a straight up mini frac. Other people uh, call it a D-fit, may call it a micro frac, but it's basically uh, inject, uh, inject fluid between, into an isolated zone between a couple of inflated packers. And from there, you can see some stress values, you can see permeability and whatnot, which, which helps round out that geomechanical picture. So when you combine these multiple functionalities, you've got a ridiculous load of data that will end up in these geomechanical reports that can be used to calibrate all sorts of other technologies uh, and do it in the lateral as well, where nothing like this is being done. So tell me, this is, you know what? Yeah, it's for me, you know, I just got done with the SB thing. we had a martini, and I'm just kind of talking here. So, you got you got this tool. It's measuring four different uh, four different tests, and it's coming with all this different data and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I guess if I'm the end user and all mm-hmm. this stuff, why would I decide to use what would this what would this bring to the table? So you're going to bring a physical 
mechanical measurement of the rock property to your understanding of what's happening in the subsurface based on an actual in-situ response that you didn't have to pull core out of the ground to get. You didn't wait six months for it. Everything's real time. It's cheap. It's repeatable. So it's real time. Yeah, it's okay. real time. And you're seeing that in-situ response. And whether you're using offset well, pressure data, surface gauges, whether you're using your pace on response, whether you're using seismic, uh, there's a lot of inferences going on with every single approach out there. And the algorithms that are chewing away at all this data, what is the foundational data that they're chewing on? They're typically inferences or they're based on something that's not where you're actually working. Yes. They're based on something from two miles up hole, three miles down the road, or from a completely different region that's analogous to where you're focused. It's not actually so this the is rock you're So this is real time, the location you're at, the in situ. Uh, <laughs> there you go. What are you laughing at? Well, I thought that's you how I pronounce it. it. That's, that's the right way. That's how I've always pronounced I've it. I've adopted it. All right, well, I have to... Do some sound check here. So this is real time, real, real samples, four, four different measurements and all that stuff. So, so this is actually something that we're, we're, they don't have to core, send it to the lab, do all, do all this fun stuff because it's all right there. Yeah, that's correct. Man, that's, that's, that's such a crazy concept to, I guess, to have that idea and to kind of figure out, I guess, the tools and mechanism, the math, the algorithm, the tests and all that stuff to actually get to, I guess, uh, to, to its fruition of this. That's, that's amazing. Well, we're not there yet, but we're very, very, very close. Where, got where to, are we at with this? We've got a, a ton of things in the shop now. We've bench tested and assembled a fair chunk of things. Uh, we've got uh, minor milestones being hit on the daily. This morning I had a really good call, and I was gushing to my wife about it on the phone as I was looking for my shirt. And, uh, <laughs> the, shirt because, the shirt you borrowed from a friend. That's right, that's right. Talk about pack, packing and flying. I mean, uh, I guess yeah. you forgot some uh, wardrobe at home, but it, yeah, I had a major wardrobe. Good thing for you, you got some buddies, uh, <laughs> buddies in H Town. Yeah, they helped me right out. Thank you, uh, Ken Hooper. Um, so this this set of milestones that happened this morning um, are to do with a very technically challenging piece of what we're trying to assemble here, and to get these successes under our belt was massive and it lifts everybody's spirits and keeps morale high and uh, for certain questions that we have internally towards what we've designed in our building until we get it in our hands and run it through its paces you just don't know so a lot of it's done on faith a lot of it's wait and see but right now there's a far larger amount of proven verified success than there are questions awesome and it's uh it's exciting for us, uh, obviously, for a number of reasons, but we're literally maybe four months away from having two-thirds, three-quarters of the tool built and, assemb uh, and bench-tested and ready for the field. So I love how this has gone from the dream. Actually, not even a dream. I mean, this is more <laughs> of like a, hey, why don't you do this, to sure. like kind of like a dream than kind of this. It's actually kind of uh, the, the, the reality of it. You know what I mean? I think mm -hmm. that's such an exciting process. So... We're going to have to wrap this up a little bit soon, but I kind of want to, you just said four months away. So let's talk about this real quick. Yeah. So when this initial version is ready, we'll run it on wireline and we're going to run it in North America. Don't okay. know exactly where. We did okay. recently uh, have a deal agreed to with one of the largest service companies on the planet to be our boots on the ground. And they have sites here in Texas that they want us to test in. So we might do that. We might do both. There, do you know how long here. this testing period is going to last before it's available to market? Oh, right now I'm planning, well, the testing itself takes about a day. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But I'm fully expecting that we're going to learn things that could not be learned with it on the bench and that we'll have to go modify things and retest. But uh, once we do the first few tests here in North America, which will be Q2-ish okay. uh, next year, then we go overseas with the entire tool. With the Ramco? Yep. Okay. We, we run a few tests with the Ramco. Tell you one thing, a Ramco, a Ramco test some tools. I remember when yeah. I was living over there, there were always companies coming in with this new technology and they would try it out. And it, it was, they would, 
they have been such a proponent to to this to the new downhole technology to whatever it is because sure. they don't mind running stuff they don't mm-hmm. mind trying stuff out which I dig you know oh it's it's it a helps, pretty small it, risk for them helps it's small risk for them helps everyone out I like it yeah no the mentality is different when I guess you have that kind of money at your disposal it costs like a dollar or something like that to run over there or something <laughs> like that I think there was some like <laughs> some urban myth over there about something like that but. Okay, so we're going to be running it in about four months in the mm-hmm. States. It's yep. going to sh- be shipped over to Saudi. Yep. And then what? And then we'll be commercial, you know, God willing. If everything goes well, we don't kill anybody, we don't lose any boreholes, we don't burn down any rigs. Then we're going to be going to the next version, which will be uh, sized appropriately for the North American market. And we got to take this offshore. we got to take this to civil engineering. we got to take it to mining engineering. We've got conversations underway now with one of the- Oh, so you're, this isn't just oil and gas. Oh, no, 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 no. Not at all. Geothermal. You know, these subsurface problems, they exist everywhere. With all these industries that, re, that work under the surface of the ground, or the surface of the earth. So- they they'll definitely benefit from this as well. It's so a Corey, different tool size. So Corey, you've been working on this for eight plus years. Okay. Yeah. All right. You are getting to the point right now where you're you're it's almost testing zone. It's almost commercial zone, all stuff. Like how 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 do you feel right now? Is it still, you know, head down, keep moving forward? I mean, are, are you actually sensing any sort of uh reality on kind of where you are and I guess in the steps where you started eight years ago? I am, but at the same time. It's all relative. Uh, my focus now is slightly different than it was six years ago, let's say, yeah. as to what happens when you build a team and you can delegate more and more and more to these folks that want to do these things and, and are trusted to do these things. I can now focus on things like the BD and growing the team further and expanding into other markets. Um, it's it, it, there's a lot of stages. No, but I'm, and but, we're we're part way through stage three out of seven, maybe. But that's still exciting. Though. Seventeen for all I know. So when when are you gonna toast? When are you and your wife gonna toast each other, saying, "You know what? <laughs> Thank you for those eight and a half, nine, whatever it looks like." Yeah. So w- when does that toast come? When when do you, I guess, see that line in the stand? I'm not saying you're gonna stop, but I'm just saying where you see that line in the sand to kind of reflect back and say, okay, we're, we're, we're here. Now it's time to move forward, but for now we're here. Yeah. I think when we have our first successful field trial, I'll be shouting from the rooftops. I dig that. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And that's coming up. I mean, coming up. Wood, that's coming up soon though. Yeah. It's very soon. And you know, things are a little unstable with the way COVID's affected supply chain and yeah, that's world another, economy. That's another, that's another uh, podcast, but I agree. Yeah. But at the moment, that is looking like it's still a reasonable goal and expectation. So I can picture y'all just sitting around there, like kind of like mission control, like a NASA, just waiting, <laughs> just sitting there watching successful run, just like giving up and cheering. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so exciting. There's, there's definitely been days when I'll, I scream at the mountains uh, with excitement or frustration and whatever and that's definitely gonna be one of those days but hopefully it's i love about this i mean you know you're like you remember garments yeah yeah oh that's star of the military remember Mm -hmm. like whatever it is oh that's the military sure this thing is starting the oil and gas industry that's what i love about it like it's it's concept began in the oil and gas industry and and potentially it's going to spread to other industries other Mm -hmm. to other avenues which which i'm excited oh yeah no we didn't even talk about uh you know earthquake mitigation what if you can use this to 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 look at stress patterns and tectonic inter, or, um, interfaces and and help predict when a tsunami is probably going to happen? Or, you know, we know that the uh, the Perseverance rover on Mars <clears throat> has yeah. an end game, and it is to get people on Mars. Well, where are they going to live? They're not going to live on tents on the surface, and if they're going to go subsurface, there's going to be issues to contend with. Who's to say that there's not a you know, a, a space tech version of integrity in situ five years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now. I don't know. But there's there's a lot of places where where we can go with this. So uh, I, I really wish like the one thing that I personally could take away from you is like, don't stop at your idea. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm learning. Like you're telling you, <laughs> and we're sitting here talking about, you know, trial runs aside at Ramco. And the next thing you're talking about is like, hey, this 
what about the Mars application? Like the fact that you're not stopping at your end goal and it's always evolving. It's always, uh, it's just the imagination is continuing to grow. It's, 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 you're not, once we get to, once we, once I get to, you know, what the goal I want to do, like, oh, I'm done. No, you're still thinking, you're still dreaming big. You're still kind of going after it. I, I if anything, I'm going to take away from some from that because whether you're, whether I think I'm happy with where connection crews at, for mm. example, or, or, or this podcast it's at, for example, yeah. you're right. Don't focus on kind of, I guess the, 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 the short term finish line. Keep dreaming big. Sure. Yeah. I love that. I was raised to believe that if you aim for the stars and miss, you'll still hit the moon. I love that. <laughs> well, what, what, what else gets to say uh, out there? I know we got to wrap the subs coming up to uh, almost game time. Houston Astros game one of the World Series. And I unfortunately have to go, not unfortunately, first off, not unfortunately, but I unfortunately have to drive mm-hmm. to Katie. But I'm fortunate to to coach my 98 month old daughter's uh, soccer t- game. So there you go. What else? What else you got for us out there? So well, first off, where can, so first off, can you? So it's Corey F E H R out there for the right? Correct. Go ahead and it. Yep. Out there that are, that kind of want to connect up with him on LinkedIn. Uh, just uh, shoot him a note. Uh, say hello. Uh, if he's in town, uh, grab a drink uh, together and uh, introduce yourself or introduce your favorite Tex Mex joint. Potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Potentially. Love it all. So what else, what else you got for us? Well, uh, I'm a, like yourself, JP, I'm all about the relationships and you never know who knows who or what conversation leads to the next. Yep. Um, I've always firmly believed and, and told this to folks, I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like the person sitting next to you at the bar, regardless of who they are. In fact, last night I was introduced to some big wig from NASA. And uh, that's great and interesting. We didn't really talk too, too much, but regardless of who that is in that world, he does put his pants on one leg at a time, just like me. Yeah. So don't be afraid to approach people because you think they're special and maybe they are, but I don't look at people as being special in any specific way. I see them as being different and they have their strengths and it makes them different. Some people are professional athletes because they're gifted in a specific sport, but everybody's special and everybody has it within themselves. Amen. And we can all do it if you're willing to make those sacrifices and you know up front, <clears throat> not that you'll know up front, but that as you learn things, you have to accept what you need to accept and know what you can change and, and improve upon. And, and really, you know, don't, don't let fear shut you down. Drop your ego because then they mm-hmm. don't give a shit as much as you think. Right. You know what I mean? 100%. You always think people give a shit more than, you know what I mean? Like, they, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, I can't believe I said that at that party. It's like, wait a minute. No one remembers that. Like, yeah. no one cares about exactly. that. They were hammered. Yeah. No one, whether that or in a meeting or whether you're having a conversation with someone, it's like, you know, when you wake up at like 3 a.m., you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that at a group. It's like, wait a minute. They're not remembering that. They're not waking up at 3 a.m. thinking, oh, my God, JP is such an idiot. You know what I mean? Sure. Drop the ego. Oh, yeah. We're our own worst critics. We are our own worst critics. Everyone's special. So, yeah, you're right. Go approach people. Just say hello. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If you got nothing to talk about, talk about nothing. You know what I mean? Like, there's shit to talk about out there. You know, oh, yeah. Whether it was yeah. Astro, whatever it is. But uh, I love that, you know. Take a chance. Don't be afraid to fear. And uh, don't take it too serious. Yeah. No. There's... There's all kinds of uh, aspects of everything that we do that are very, very fun. Some are very challenging. Uh, there's always something to be learned. So do your best. Work with people that support the same overall visions and, and goals, and uh, you'll get there. I dig that, man. So so everyone, again, uh, Corey, can you mention the name of your company out there? Because I don't want to mess up the uh, <laughs> well, I. I say it a different way because I had my uh, master's degree in France, so I probably pronounce it a different way than uh, the most Americans. So definitely, go ahead. Integrity in situ, and in Houston, we do have Integrity in situ LLC as well. And so, and so, and so is there a, you get a website or something like that? Yeah, integrityinsitu.com. We do have an Instagram feed, which is straight up called Integrity in situ. We do have a Facebook, uh, whatever that would be called, profile uh, under Integrity in situ. Yeah. LinkedIn has got an integrity. But LinkedIn's where it's at. Yeah. And 99% of our stuff is through me on LinkedIn, just 
because I had that profile. Yeah, look up for a with Corey. Time. The thing about the thing about about Corey too. I mean, uh, before we met, I just noticed him kind of like you know chiming in on certain stuff. He was very engaging and uh, very supportive. And, and you know what? I met a, I met probably ninety percent of people in the past year because of their LinkedIn uh, presence. And mm-hmm. I, I'm being very serious about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, Corey's always been a. Uh, very engaging, very, you know, supportive and all that stuff. So when he uh, flew down what a year, month and a half ago or something like that and tagged up, it was uh, good tagging up with him. And uh, I advise people to reach out to him. I think he's, uh, he's, a, he's a good connection to have and uh, just someone good to, to, to bullshit with. And honestly, I always, I always uh, preach about following your passion. I mean, if it's one of those things where it's, if, uh, if, if you want to follow your passion, I mean, reach out to an entrepreneur like this guy who's uh, been chasing it for eight years about to, you know, knock on wood. You know, come to fruition, not only that, just take it not only just the art industry, but shit, past our world into into Mars. You never know. You never know. I love that, man. <laughs> well, buddy, I, I wish you the best. Uh, Ghost Rose, I guess, while you're in town. Hopefully, Certainly. hopefully you see some uh, some good games and all that stuff while you're here and enjoy some good food. But uh, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I really do. No, I appreciate you making the time. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure and honor. And anytime people offer you their time, and a window into their world, whether it's through their podcast or dinner with their family, you need to recognize that and appreciate it for everything it is because that is not something you get every day. And I really appreciate it. That's a great point, though, because you got to think about that, too. Not a lot of people, if someone invites you for dinner, I mean, think about Go. that. Yeah, how always many, say many, yes. Yeah, I mean, think about that. How many people are you extending the invite to? Probably not that many. So when someone does, just say yes. Just do it. I dig that, man. So... Hey, man, I wish you the best. I wish everything the best for you and your company and all that fun stuff. Thank and, you, sir. You, and and likewise. T- and I'll tell you one thing. Once uh, once the Aramco thing goes off, knock on wood again, uh, let's get you back on here and kind of Definitely. have a follow-up yeah, conversation. I'd, I'd love to talk about it some more, yeah. I dig that. All right, okay. man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, Energy Crew, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.